Hello, and welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Minds. Our goal on the RMR is to move from tacticians to more strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Christina Del Villar. Welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Um, my name again, Christina Del Villar. I am a go-to-market and marketing strategist, and I've been doing this for the past 30 years or so, working with small companies, large companies, startups, very well-established organizations. And really the focus I have is trying to make sure there's alignment across the customer journey with sales and marketing product and customer success as well. I just light up when you say alignment because <laughs> I right? think we've seen... A lot of us have seen both ends of that spectrum, and one is definitely more painful than the other. So <laughs> recently, we had a, an established sales leader come on and talk about what he looks for in a marketing partner in order to build trust. I would like to hear your perspective on what you need to see from sales, and then we'll talk a little bit more about marketing as a whole. Sure. Sounds good. Yeah. So for me, you know, this is something that, that I think is really important for companies and leaders within companies to really understand. And that is, if you're thinking about your go-to-market strategy, again, this is your longer term plan. It's longer than a year, the three, five, 10 year plan that you have to reach whatever goals your company has. And I think what happens is over time, just by the nature of the amount of work we have and life in general, we tend to start getting siloed, right? So we might think, okay, this is our North Star and we're all aimed towards that and we're all in alignment with that and we all have a plan you know that's that's gathered around that but over time you know product starts building features and functionalities and they're just kind of heads down you know marketing is trying to get everything to market sales are trying you know there are some very um, specific quotas and goals that they need to meet so over time, we just sort of start working in our own little area. And that can be as individuals, as departments, as organizations. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I've seen this over and over again. And so I think what needs to happen is frequently, if you if you don't have a go-to-market strategy team, organization, tiger team, whatever, you need to step back and review, again, what that customer journey looks like, what your ultimate go-to-market strategy and goals are, and make sure that everyone in the organization is in alignment. Um, the other thing I think is really important is, and I know this is a really overused word, I think during uh, COVID in particular was empathy, but I think you really need to have empathy for folks, right? Like if you, there was one time when I was working with, it was a product and we needed to, we literally needed to change the roadmap. And, you know, I can just say I need the roadmap changed and I can make it happen. <laughs> or I can go to product and engineering and explain what it is that I'm trying to do, why I need this done, what I think the outcomes will be, and then what is it that they need from me to make it happen so that they are also successful in what they're doing. And so it's sort of this conversation that you have and the transparency you have as you're going along. And I think that, again, if you're just super silent, you don't have those opportunities. Yes, it's funny. Earlier today, and I just doubled over laughing, but it was great. My sales manager turned to me and said, you're the yin to my yang. Very sweet. But I think what we were both recognizing is I'm really highly analytical. I'm very into the numbers. He's not so much, but he has a ton of empathy and is really good at reading the room and figuring out where a customer is in the journey because of that. He's very good at selling. And I think two leaders that can recognize where their weak points are 
and how they can collaborate. The other piece I heard you say that I really love is that you're explaining the why. And growing up, we had coaches like in sports or wherever that would tell you what to do. Just do it. <laughs> that doesn't right? work anymore at no, all. No, no. You know, and I think it's really important for everyone to understand things in context, right? Like, again, you can say we need to change the roadmap or sales team, you need to increase your, your revenue goals or marketing, you need to have more in the pipeline coming in. You can do all of that. But again, contextually, why? Why? Why is that? And and because then it helps you understand and you might be able to say, okay, in that context, I understand what you're asking for and this is how we can get there, right? But if you don't understand the context and like you're saying, your coach is just telling you get a home run, then it's like, um, okay, but how, I mean, I understand the why in that case, but <laughs> we want to win, but you know, how, how should I do that? And how does everybody else on the team fit into that, right? Yeah, it's kind of like yelling at somebody to stop stressing out. It's one of the least effective things you can do. Right. Or having when you're, yeah, I was going to say when your kid is crying and everybody's like, you know, stop crying. It's like, oh, it's, it's great. Good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> when it's just going to go off the rails. As a marketing leader, how do we build trust with the rest of the executive team and the board? Yeah, so I think this is really critical. And, you know, we, we talked about this, you know, before. Part of it is building the trust, uh, you know, sort of at your own level and then, you know, maybe the next level up as well. But ultimately, you absolutely need to build trust with the executives, the leaders, the board. And again, whether that is an individual in the organization or the manager or the VP, whoever it is, basically, especially for marketing, because nobody really understands what it is that we do. And so it's really easy for us to say, you know, this is what we did, but they don't necessarily believe it unless you have some sort of back, you're backing that up with some proof. And so for me, this is really critical. First off, I think you need to understand and speak the language of those folks, right? Like, I'll never forget, like, you can go into a board meeting with a million slides, like this program did this and this campaign was great and this PR brought in this and this is our pipeline and this is, you know, what happened on the website. But unless you're just going in and saying, this is the revenue we brought in, like you're not even going to begin to have a conversation with them. So that's like the very first thing. I, I, basically, I have one slide. It has the revenue or pipeline on it. And then I have an appendix that has everything else that supports how we got to that number. And I think that that's like what people need to do. And I think it's hard for, I mean, it's hard for executives to really understand what marketing does. But also as marketing, we don't take ownership of revenue enough. And we really need to do that. I mean, ultimately, we're the ones who are bringing in all of the revenue for the company, whether it's because we own the website or, oh, look at that. Isn't that exciting? Right? It's true, though. <laughs> no, you're speaking my language. I am so so excited. I am so excited. No, but it's true, right? You know, whether, again, if it's the website, it's content, it's the brand, it's the, you know, whatever campaigns we're doing to bring leads in, it's the nurture leads that we have, it's the content collateral we're developing for sales, it's helping customer success be successful and retain and grow and expand customers. So, you know, we, we have a lot to do, again, across that customer journey and all of the revenue that's coming in. We just don't really, we don't, we don't generally want it. Nobody wants to be like, oh, I'll take the revenue target <laughs> and raise their hands for that. So, but we really need to, at least in our heads and our minds and our teams, recognize that we do own the revenue number for the company. And when we do that, then we can have the right conversations with leaders because that is 
ultimately what they care about, right? They don't care about our website traffic um, as much as that might pain some people to hear, but, but they don't. And if nothing else, by talking about revenue first, it just opens up the lines of communication. And, and then you can, again, start talking about what you did and what your team did to get there. I'm about to get on my little soapbox. This is so exciting. Oh, yes. I love everything I you just said. It. So I think... <laughs> Not speaking to revenue first and not putting the systems and tooling in place and getting the agreements on what that means for your business or using multi-touch attribution. What all are you including? What does that look like? If you're not doing that groundwork and establishing that the minute you get in there, you're perpetuating the idea that marketing is a cost center. Exactly. And this is really harmful for marketing folks, right? Because, and that's, but again, if you were not showing everything that we're bringing in, in then and, and this is what I, I've seen I've seen it for for decades um, when things go right with revenue sales gets the credit when yep. things go bad marketing gets blamed yep right so we need to own that narrative and we, we need to own it with the sales team and help them understand like this is this is what we do this is what we're bringing in this is how we're helping you and then we also need to then help everybody else in the organization understand that as well so and the board sometimes it depends I think there was a stat out there that said said, I think it was like 80% of boards don't have marketing represented or a marketing strategist or somebody like that on their board. And so, right. You know, and so that's a problem. And B2B. Yeah. Good good point. Uh, And then the other thing that I've noticed over the past five years in particular is the CRO, the chief revenue officer, which should be a good combination of marketing and sales is always a salesperson. Right. 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 And so like, okay, well, now you're just like a super, uh, you know, VP of sales. <laughs> I don't know, an SVP. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, so often the sales managers get where they are by being really good with numbers. They, they manage people, they manage expectations, but they understand the ins and out of their numbers. If marketing can get to that same place. So, so many times I see marketers looking into analytics in order to help secure and save their position. And by then it's too late. Right. Prove themselves. Yeah. Yep. After. Yep. Yep. So instead of you, establish themselves. Yep. Yep. So if you don't know the true North stars to go after there, there's one. And right. like you said, that's, <laughs> that's bookings. And ultimately that leads to revenue. It's important for us all to use the same language. Right. You can talk about leading indicators. You can talk about problems you spotted and things you did to try to fix it. But if you don't start the conversation acknowledging where everything ended at the end right. of the quarter and what our part... Oh, yeah. It's heated. <laughs> no, right? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was at, I was at a company, uh, and I think this is in the book too, and it's on, it was on my whiteboard and it was basically like how many leads we brought in, you know, what the website traffic was. And it was really more for my team to just sort of get their head around it. And then every time we would go into a sales meeting, the sa- I mean, it was like forced on these salespeople. They did not want to be there. I mean, except for the free lunch, they would, they would have rather have been anywhere else. But what was happening was we would start at the top of the funnel and they don't, they don't care. Right. And so I was talking to um, a salesperson one time that was like, you know, you make it seem like 
we have all of these, we have all of this stuff coming in. We have all these leads, we have all, everything. And then it's really hard for us to sell because by the time, you know, we get to those qualified leads, it's a smaller number, which, which I get and appreciate. So I went, we went into that meeting and I told my team, I'm like, flip all the slides, like start from your last slide, which is how much pipeline and how much revenue we brought in and literally just flip them, flip them all. Uh, and they looked at me like I was insane. I'm like, trust me, this is going to be good. So we went in and seriously, like all of a sudden, all the salespeople, like they were paying attention. They put their phones down, they put their sandwiches down and we're like, wait, that's, that's, that's what we want to know. Right. And then you can have the conversations. Well, which, which sources were better for, for leads or, you know, is this a good month? Is this cyclical? Is this, is this what we expected? But you have to like talk to them in the language that they understand and is meaningful to them. Yes. The board and CEO's love language is always going to be revenue. Right. Right. Um, like you one can, slide, people just put your revenue up there. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't bury the lead. Like right. that's, that's what we say all the time. And right. like you said, you can see the body language change. Now, salespeople Ugh. have a different place of motivation. Their income's sure. directly tied to whether or not they hit their quota. Yeah. But ultimately they care about the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And how can we help them do a better job? And again, I think it all has to do with, with everybody being in alignment with what we're doing. And there are definitely times where, and I've done this with my teams for years, you know, I'll say, you know, somebody will either come to me either on my team or externally, like, you know, sales or a product, and they'll have a request. And my first thing is like, is this going to help us get to our, our North Star? And if it isn't, then we're not doing it. I'm not, we're not reprioritizing. I'm not going to find the money or budget to do it. I'm not, we're not going to spend our time on it. And it can be something that seems significant and actually still does not get you where you need to go. Or it can be something that's just, kind of frivolous and, and time wasting. And so it's really important for everybody in the company, every time they do something to ask themselves that question or, you know, to have some accountability and have your buddy ask you, like, is this getting us to our North Star or not? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and I think that that is a huge problem. Uh, I was noticing, I think it was, I, th I can't remember where I read it, but CMOs, like the life, the life, uh, lifetime of, of a CMO in a company is 18 months right now. Right. And it takes them six months to like learn the process. Then they need almost, it's probably 15 months. Then they need a full year because most B2B cycles are a year and they literally leave right before they would have been able to prove like what they were doing was significant. And then they start to cycle all over again. And that's why it is so critical, one, for the CMO to understand, come into your ecosystem, you're in a new area, understand where your infrastructure is at and what you can measure before you start making promises. It's going to take time to get those things in place. And then that helps you set the right expectations with the rest of the executive team. Because if, if you come in and they say they're launching a new product and they want a big splash, Red flags are going up everywhere and you're going to have to manage the expectation that one press release put out through PR Newswire <laughs> is going to save the company. <laughs> no. Wait, no. what? No? Yeah. No? Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it kind of goes back to setting those expectations. I remember 
Like anytime we do, a, you know, a conference, we we know this in marketing. We're going to get those leads and we're going to nurture them for at least six months, right? We're, I mean, if sales even gets them, that that'll be, um, you know, lovely. But the expectation, I think it was Dreamforce we went to one time, and we ended up with like twenty five hundred leads, and they're like, "This is amazing," you know. And then the next day, they're like, "How much revenue?" And I'm like, "That's not how that works. It's not how that works." No, I I run into that myself. <laughs> where two days later how much revenues come in so far? And I'm like, we have a six month sales cycle. Are you kidding? Yeah. So ask me in six months, maybe five months, I'll tell you where we are. Right. But again, if we don't help people initially understand that, like we're going to go to the show, we're going to get X amount of leads, 50% of them, we're going to just trash immediately because they were, you know, looky lose or tchotchke grabbers or whatever. Yes. The swag grab, right. The swag Mm -hmm. grab. Right. And then, then we're going to nurture them and then sales will get them. And then sales has their own process that they need to go through. And so if you set that expectation up front, because, and this is really hard, especially for events, about six months into this process, you need to put your deposit down to do that show again for the next year when you literally have zero data on how they're doing right now. Although I've found, and this is the nerdy data side, if you have (laughs) multi-put touch attribution in place, you push for meetings to be set ahead of time. You can actually track the deals that were already in flight. Absolutely. That were touched and existing customers. And then not only that, you can pull in the digital activities that were used to and how that's all tied to pipeline and bookings. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have a plan ahead of time, though, and ideas about when stuff's going to hit, when when to look at certain metrics and communicate that and pound it into your executive team's head, like you said, it's going to be hard. It's just it's going to be viewed as a failure. You know, and, and, and it's true and it's unfortunate. But I mean, that's just sort of the way that it is. Again, you need to set those expectations and help people understand really like what it, what it all, what it all means. And, and when, when you're going to see those conversions potential, again, along that entire purchasing cycle, I think it's interesting. You talk about customers so often, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I still don't really get it. Part of it's probably the infrastructure or, uh, you know, how companies are organized, but you've already paid for them. So why not look at expansion? MSUs, are there, MAUs, are they, is their monthly active usage up? Are they using it as intended? Are you keeping in touch with them so that when it's time to renew, it's not the first time you've talked to them in, you know, two or three years, uh, which, which happens a lot as well. Expanding those it's it's a lot easier than than bringing in net new customers and clients. Absolutely, and I've found that I've seen this quite a few times in smaller startups. Marketers have to argue to have those numbers under their purview right. as well. Yeah, well, you know, and, and it's interesting <laughs> because like even like sales doesn't want to own it. They want to sell and then move on, right? Customer support and success often don't have the right people on those teams, the account manager or whoever that, you know, whoever that is to nurture and build that relationship. And so, you know, marketing often comes in, you know, with nurture programs and campaigns and really tries to, uh, you know, keep them informed about features and functionality and and things like that. Again, that, that often falls on, on marketing as well. Yeah. I know a lot of smart marketers who have built out community programs, forums, all sorts of things. Knowledge bases and yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, we, we have a lot to do with the content, right? So it makes sense to 
you know, to, to have that component as well. But again, I think part of it goes back to making sure everybody understands what, what the role is and, and who sort of owns that. The other thing you talked about was for, um, for marketers in general, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very analytical and data driven as well, but it's a scary, it's a scary thing for, for marketing. You know, like if you're thinking about some of the tools that we should own and know well in and out and the data that's coming from it, we often like let IT manage that, um, right? And I, I get, I, I get where that's coming from, but it's only going to hurt you if you don't understand your numbers. Yes. Yes. Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah, <it's> not, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Yeah. So many thoughts are popping into my head. I just can't keep track of them all, but it's just like panic. Right. Don't take the data away right. from me. <laughs> I mean, there's something so powerful about really getting your head around the numbers and understanding which tactics work short term versus which have to have a long runway in order to have an impact and being able to view that as a bunch of tools in your toolbox that you can pull out when the numbers are telling you that something's falling behind. That's huge. Right. Well, and again, it's, it's knowing, it's knowing where to look for the data and knowing when to look at the data or recognizing when the data isn't what you're hoping for, right? Like you don't wait until the end of the quarter or the end of the year and then go look at the data and are like, oh, whoops. Oh, wow. Back in May, that was telling, <laughs> right? Like end of May, you should be like, oh, oh, crap. We need to, we need to fix something right away. I mean, the data is there. It's just a matter of really understanding again what you're looking for and when when to look for it. You know, and what that cadence is, and you know whether you schedule it or it just sort of happens because you have reports that are due on a monthly basis or whatever that looks like. But whatever that is, it needs to be a consistent review schedule and process. And and again, very intentional in terms of what it is that you should be seeing with that data. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I always say if you wait until the end of the quarter, it's too late because you've right. missed your window to impact anything short term. Yeah, I do think it is interesting that both sales and executives think that marketing can just like pull something out of somewhere the last week of a quarter or a year. To, I wish. To, I know. <laughs> right? Like if, I'd, if we could have done that, we would have done it in week one and taken the rest of the year off. Like, come on. <laughs> Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> hey, we met our target in the first quarter, so we're, we're off for the next, you know, nine months. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Job done. Well, job done. Mission accomplished. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. think a lot of the things we're touching on kind of the opposite behavior of what we're talking about is feeding into this uh, perception that marketing is the arts and crafts department. Right, right. Or the t-shirt producer or the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm loading the question, but if you were if you were to talk to somebody who's just starting out in marketing or thinking they want to go into marketing, what is what is the advice that you would give them? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's obviously there's different components to marketing. There's content, there's ads, there's like your traditional advertising, there's brand, 
you know, communications, lead gen. There, there's so much to marketing. And generally what I do when I hire people is I will hire a generalist. And then over time, if they want to have a specialty, then work with them towards doing that. But I do think it's important for marketers to really understand all of the different pieces and components that go into marketing so that they themselves can do a better job and work more closely and effectively um, and in alignment with other folks on the team or, or that extended team. But I think that it is, you know, one of those things where there's just, just a huge misconception about what what it is that marketing does do again they think we do we we throw vip parties and you know produce t-shirts or tchotchkes uh, you know they're not really thinking about everything else but again i mean we're marketing people so we need to do a better job marketing ourselves and helping people understand what it is that we do what our contributions to the company is to the individuals in the company and to that that bottom line or whatever that goal is that the company has um and so you know again there's different pieces you can do social media or you can be more involved from a technology standpoint or an operations standpoint. I mean, the great thing is, is there's a lot of different opportunities in marketing. You just have to understand what it is that you want to do. And then I think as a hiring manager, it's really important to understand what gaps you have and what, and what you really need on your team so that you can find the right people or at least have a, a very solid job description so that everybody understands what, what their role is and how they fit in with everything else. Oh, yeah. And if you're hiring for marketing operations, I've seen so many broad job descriptions that (laughs) if you can't fit the job description onto a page, you probably need to hire more than one person. Right. Right. And um, don't be afraid to contract with a freelancer or bring in somebody that you've worked with before that you really trust to vet their technical skills and rewrite that job description. Yeah, I think it's really important also for companies to recognize that maybe they don't need a full-time this, that, or the other thing, especially like a CMO. I was talking to a company the other day and they were like, yeah, we're going to hire our first CMO. And I'm like, oh, are you guys at like 50 million in in sales right now? And they're like, "Mm, no. And I'm like, well, where are you? They're like, we're like at a million. I'm like, you don't need a CMO. Get a fractional CMO, hire a VP of marketing. You do not need to spend your money on a CMO. And when you do that at that level, then you have no budget left for that CMO to do anything, to execute, to hire more people, to run programs. And so it's not going to be successful. So you really need to think about that. Yeah, it's it's tough. Something I struggle with is when is the right time to bring in somebody who can build a team and when do you need the actual tactical player and balancing that out. The CMO coming in that early scares me. Like you said, your budget (laughs) is just gone on one person. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's not then they're not they're not being set up for success. Right. So. I think the big thing I worry about is um, if somebody's coming into marketing, I want to make sure that they're comfortable with numbers or get comfortable right. with numbers. Yes. yes. And I think we were both probably from the cohort where we were told women weren't as good with math or if you're creative, your math brain can't work. I think that's a bunch of hooey. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I mean, anyone, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, you're going to go, I actually do know how to program. I'm not, I don't, and I don't want to, but I do know how to program because there are times when you need to, me personally, I need to understand like how is Salesforce working and how is it integrating with my marketing automation tool? And what are some of these things that I can do and how can I manipulate it or, or work it better? I'm not saying marketers need to be programmers. I'm just simply saying I need to have this knowledge in my back pocket so I can help guide us um, better. But but even just knowing and understanding the data is critical. Yeah. And <laughs> an experiment <laughs> I'm sure my team hates, but spending a month as a BDR. Oh, yeah. It's great. You know, I mean... It helps. It helps everybody. It helps. I, I actually like having BDRs and SDRs report directly into marketing because they're the ones who are taking those sort of lukewarm leads and trying to turn them into the qualified leads that we can then hand over to sales again, B2B and direct sales types of um, workforces that you might have. And so having, and then working really closely with your team so they understand what it is that you're doing, why you're doing it, how hard your team is actually working. You know, we're not just, again, sort of sitting around you know, the coffee machine trying to figure out the best approach for t-shirts and socks or whatever. I, I, don't I love know. that we're on the swag kick. I, I, know, I know. I don't know why I'm so, yeah, I don't know why I'm, um, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I, but I do think that that's what people think of us as doing is like, we're the ones who go run to the closet and get the t-shirts for, for folks. Yeah, I, I do see organizations, they'll, they'll think of the one tactic that they see happening a lot and not realize, now we're also building a knowledge base, we're doing frequent content updates, we're doing SEO on the back end, we're doing paid advertising, there's a lot of things. Right. We're, we're helping product understand feature functionality and bundling yep. for pricing, we're doing a lot. Yeah, yes. Yes. So why aren't more of us CROs? Yeah, <laughs> I think loaded it's a question. Yeah. I mean, really, it has to do, it goes back to the fact that executives do not understand what it is that we do. And this, you know, this is my own sort of what I've seen in the industry. There's two types of CMOs and, and usually it's actually gender based. There's the CMO that has a good rapport with the board and sales and the executives, but doesn't know how to, and those are usually the men, they're, they're just very much focused on, you know, networking, uh, networking right? I'm mm -hmm. not trying to like, trying to figure out how to say it nicely. And then you have the women CMOs who are all about like building the right team and executing. And and those are two different skill sets. And I'm not saying you, you need one versus the other, but ironically, the ones who are actually doing what I feel is less work are the ones who have more visibility than, than the ones who are, you know, kind of heads down and their teams are, you know, working their butts off. But again, I mean, that's just part of, again, whoever it is, making sure that you are articulating your value and the impact that you're bringing and your team is bringing. Well, I think it really goes back to the conversation about marketing being a cost center versus a revenue generator. If you have the infrastructure in place, the buy-in from the executive team on the models you're using and can really argue that, it changes the dynamic drastically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, again, there have been many companies where, where, that, where I've seen it. It works great. Everybody is on the same page. But again, I think it all goes back to, you know, that the go-to-market strategy was developed so long ago 
nobody even knows what it is or where it is. And you can say, well, it's to meet this revenue number this year, but that's not, that is not why you built your product or solution. That is not why you took it to market. That is not why, you know, if you're thinking about an IPO, that's still, you know, a seven to 10 year plan. Like what, what is it that's driving you and the company? And without even knowing where that is or what that looks like, you cannot get your entire company in alignment and working towards that. Yeah, it is so interesting having those conversations with people who have been embedded in the company for a long time and really close to the product and really trying to take them away from the feature functionality and talk about the psychology behind the emotions that drive people to buy. It's just really... Well, yeah, and even not just to buy, but like how to use your product. Why, you know, what is it, right? Like how do you help them understand why they need your product and how they should be using it? What was the intention? And, you know, are they using it to its fullest? And are you helping them understand everything that you offer, right? I mean, that's a big problem companies have. Again, it kind of goes back to sort of not marketing to your customers, you oftentimes forget to tell them, oh, we have all these features and benefits now that you've been asking for, by the way. And so they're just sort of off on their own going, gosh, oh, here, I found something. This is great. Oh, I wish I'd have known this six months ago. <laughs> marketing needs to continue to market to customers and be involved know. in the product. I get it. I am just on your bandwagon right now. Right? This is fantastic. <laughs> exactly. Christina, thank you so yeah, much. Where can people you. find your book? They can find my book. It's not, it's not Amazon. It's called Sway. You can also go to swaythebook.com and there's all the information you might need there. Or you can go to my website, which is christinadelviar.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram. You know, I'm out there, out there in the ethers. Doing the author thing. I love Doing it. The thing. I know. It's amazing. I love it. So for those of you who love our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, tell a couple friends. It really does make a difference. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com.